Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Welcome back to America's Heroes Group, a community outreach roundtable with the Black Veterans Project. Today is Saturday, February 25th, 2023. February is Black History Month and American Heart Month. Our host is Cliff Kelly. I'm Sean Clement, the co-host, Army National Guard veteran. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith and our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scott's Turner Productions and in charge of all things technical here. Our panelist, Richard Brookshire, was on with us. He's a co-founder of the Black Veterans Project and a nonpartisan 501c3 a nonprofit elevating public education around the unique history of black veterans in the United States. Gary Monk, he is a younger brother of the person at the center of this conversation, Vietnam veteran Conley Monk Jr. There was a lawsuit filed by the Veterans Legal Services Clinic at Yale Law School on behalf of Vietnam veteran Conley Monk Jr. We're going to talk about that. So how are you guys doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm happy to be on in conversation with Gary, who I adore, and just help him spread the word about um, his brother's efforts and his family's story. Uh, Gary, I'm really ha- proud to have you here with us as well. Um, you tell us about your brother. Uh, recently, you had a stroke, from under- understand? Well, good evening, and thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's been a few years now um, that he had a stroke, um, but it was precipitated from all the different ailments he was dealing with, uh, directly related to his time in service. So Conley Monk Jr., he enlisted in the Marines during Vietnam, which was in itself as a veteran and particularly as a, at a time, if you knew, remember that history, most people, well, not say most people, but 30 percent of the, of the population were getting drafted to go to Vietnam. He actually signed up as a black man to go into the military and he joined the Marines. OK, and then all of a sudden he gets, he gets discharged, he gets a dishonorable discharge. What? How did that happen? How does a person who goes from. You know, he's a, he was a, a well-seasoned combat veteran, has seemingly a very, very dedicated service to the Marine Corps, and then all of a sudden finds himself not eligible to get benefits. What happened? I have it that when he was um, discharged from the military, which was an unjust act um, between him and, and one of his, uh, should I say, authority, manner, uh, authority position uh, personnel, and when he was discharged, it was just given to him in a way that it was just a matter of fact thing. It was given it out like a paper. And uh, so it was it was something that he dealt with for the rest of his life. Actually, we're just trying to, we can't reverse it, but we, you know, he's still dealing with the effects of that. Hmm. It took 40 years after his military service to realize he had PTSD. I mentioned, I saw this in a, in a, a video um, or interview he had given uh, on a Veterans Inclusion Project. Um, and, and also mentioned that that you that as a family, is, you guys, some of his siblings during the military. Tell us all the siblings that were in the Vietnam era of war or the Vietnam War, along with your brother. So I have a sister that went in a year prior to him. She was in the Air Force, and um, she was in. Uh, excuse me. And then I had another brother that was in the Army uh, that went in. I believe a year after Conley did. So we had three siblings in the military uh, during Vietnam War era. 
Tony being the only one that was boots on ground. He did uh, two tours mm. of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So the Department mm. of Veterans Affairs acknowledges racial disparities in benefits and dishonorable discharges and less than honorable discharges. Under Secretary McDonough's office, uh, Richard, can you tell us a little bit about um, the, the significance of this lawsuit and how, with that in the background, what is what is what do you hope to get out of this? What's what's the what is success in this in this light? Yeah, well, I mean, it's multifaceted. One, this thank you again for having me on. Um, I we're, we're trying. We're, it's an ambitious project in general. Uh, what, what BBP has been trying to do. Um, one, we started working with. Yeah, I think I should just give a little bit more color uh, to Conley as well. Conley has been working with Yale Law School since the 90s and uh, very much uh, a major figure in the New Haven community in Connecticut, uh, helping veterans of all backgrounds get access to, to, to veterans they've been unjustly denied. And he did the advocacy even while he was struggling both with his PTSD and not having access to his benefits. He won a lawsuit. Uh, with Yale uh, in 2015, um, and it was a landmark case because it, it, it prompted something called the Wilkie Letter, which enables folks who've been diagnosed with PTSD or traumatic brain injury uh, who are Marines and got dis- dishonorably discharged to, to essentially uh, have an easier time getting access to their, their benefits, right? Um, and you know, after 40 years, he got access to his VA home loan and, and other benefits for the first time, though he's always, to date, he's still not used a VA home loan. Um, and it, the, the suit uh, with uh, Monk v. Uh, U.S. really started with the work we undertook with, with Yale about three years ago, and we started to collaborate with NBCLR, which is uh, Conley and, um, and Gary's organization out in New Haven. Uh, and we wanted to look at disparities in disability compensation and just kind of what, the, what data the VA had, um, because we know that these, the, these disparities uh, are historic. They, they run deep. They start with everything from the denial of pensions uh, after the Civil War, going into uh, the denial of pensions in World War One, and then obstruction of GI Bill benefits going into World War Two, And then obviously the disparities with dishonorable discharges and a whole host of other mechanisms that have been employed in, in, in different eras to, to really like black vets out of really cr- a crucial social welfare system, right, when it comes to education, when it comes to housing, uh, and when it comes to health care. Um, and we were able to, to, to show for the first time uh, something that black veterans have been talking about for decades, but we had hard internal VA data that, that, that now shows that there are and were, for at least for the last 20 years, um, uh, 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 statistics significantly uh, statistically significant disparities um, in the allocation of disability uh, compensation. Um, one glaring uh, disparity, and I think I mentioned this last time, was a disparity around PTSD denials, right? This is exactly what Conley was trying to get care for for over 40 years and being perpetually denied through the VA. Um, and so what, what this, this case is, is attempting to do is, is, is one, obviously, leverage that, that, that data um, and then also really compel, uh, uh, I think, in, in some respects, the national discourse around the history uh, of racial disparities with respect to access to, to, to a host of uh, veterans' benefits. But also, concretely, it is trying to make sure that there is some kind of redress and recompense for that harm. Uh, Conley, for instance, in the 2015 suit, was able to get a small settlement for three years of back pay that the VA had owed him. But they should have been paying him disability compensation since the early 1970s. He could have purchased a home with his VA home loan that could have accrued hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of value. He could have leveraged uh, hundreds of thousands worth of, uh, 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 of, uh, of support and education benefits for both himself and his children. He didn't get access to that. 
so this case is really making it trying to make this this, this really complicated legacy salient um, in human, but ultimately it's trying to to, to to see if there is an actual path for black veterans to be able to get some kind of redress, some kind of recompense for that harm and the failure of VA to address it, because I think the most damning thing that we were able to find um, through this litigation over the course of the last few years is that the VA failed to even study, do a, do a, a formal study of racial disparities in any way um, relating to uh, disability compensation or veterans that benefits broadly in the last two decades. Um, and I think that's, that's damning, knowing that we're coming out of such, such a fraught racial history. I want to get more into the the history of it and also the significance of those elements, particularly at the fact that a lot of the benefits at the time, particularly after Vietnam, were handled at the state level as opposed to being done at a federal level, which had a big influence on how things were handled in the South. But, Gary, before I get there, Gary, I want you to kind of add a little more color as well. Watching your brother go through this and watching your siblings who served honorably in the military and then seeing that just so nonchalantly, as you mentioned, they just gave him a less than honorable discharge. So how did how did you how did that how did you see him being affected by it? Because from his own interviews I've seen in the past, it seemed like it really damaged him a lot. It's, it's hard enough coming back home from Vietnam, one of the worst wars you fought. We fought in modern warfare. I mean, so modern, modern warfare taken to a whole other level with carnage and things like that, and all of a sudden coming back with PTSD, not having any way, no language to describe it. And then, so what did you see him go through? So, if you don't mind, if I could just um, go back, go back to World War II. Reference my dad. Um, he was a World War II Normandy invasion Army uh, veteran, and uh, he came home with uh, battle fatigue or whatever you wanted to call it back then, which was PTSD. Um, and he came back to Jim Crow and uh, south of um, in North Carolina. Excuse me. And he couldn't secure good employment, menial jobs, et cetera. Had three kids now at this point. So he decided to come back, or shall I say, come up north. Uh, we had some relatives here. And uh, he secured two jobs, worked two jobs, you know, in the Haven Hospital and Seamus Rubber Company, for 16 hours a day, 25 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really felt that he was dealing with his PTSD in this way. Um, and back to Conley, uh, or before I go to Conley, let's just say, he, he he experienced the same thing that Kali experienced. There was no dissemination of information for um, the veteran benefits. The European counterpart did receive all these benefit home loans, educational benefits, the resources that the VA provided for veterans at that time. But indigenous, or shall I say, melanated uh, veterans did not receive this. And so my father did this long working hours, uh, he really just supported himself to get whatever he had to get. Now, fast forward to Conley. When Conley came home with this bad discharge, he was shamed. He couldn't even look at my father in the face. My father couldn't understand. My father got an honorable discharge. He did not. And he's like, how did you possibly get bad papers? So, sure, when we found out that Conley had um, started self-medicating because during the uh, time he was in Nam seeing people's heads getting blown off, seeing his partner beside him. He just got finished talking to him, no longer there. He's driving trucks, come back with his trucks all full of bullets, and he wonder how he lived. Um, he did have someone that was, um, excuse me, uh, driving with him in a truck that was killed. But um, he went through so much that when he got back to home, 
I seen when the emergency vehicles drove down the street and the sirens blaring. My brother actually jumped under maybe a clearance of six inches under the couch because he thought he was a nom. So here we go um, to treating his his illness. We we didn't know what it was. Uh, my father and mother probably thought he was mental um, that you know he couldn't couldn't deal with the war. So my brother was self medicating in every way he could for forty. 40 years, basically. But meanwhile, inside of him taking care of himself, he was taking care of other veterans. He sought out organizations that could support him with upgrading his discharge because my brother couldn't even get his job back at the VA when he first came back. And um, so he went to other sources. He ended up going to the very place that gave him medication. He went to the methadone program, became a senior counselor. He saw other veterans. He took care of them in a way that he knew that they needed certain things that the organization wasn't familiar with. Um, from there, he continued to fight for veterans' rights to fight to get discharge upgraded. We finally connected with Yale Law School. That's when things started to turn for us, um, for him. And I say us because I was right beside my brother. I co-founded the organization with my brother in the early 80s. And um, inside of my brother's uh, love for Vietnam veterans, he came up with a brainchild of creating a uh, excuse me, a monument here in New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, at the Long Wharf, we have a granite monument. It's a V symbol, 10 feet in ground and 10 feet above ground, black granite. He did that to honor the veterans that lost their lives. So you had the KIAs up there as well as the MIAs. Um, we're looking at going back now to put the current or uh, the veterans that are still living from the Vietnam War. But my brother, internal struggle, tore his family up. Couldn't keep a job. Uh, he was getting all kind of, uh, shall I say, backlash from him having a bad discharge. At the time he came out, of course, there wasn't a word called PTSD. So uh, when it finally was done, uh, thanks, thanks to uh, former Secretary of Defense Chuck Hagel, that kept his word um, to Senator Blumenthal that he would create some legislation that would support veterans are getting their discharge upgraded. As a result of that, hundreds of thousands of veterans are getting their discharge upgraded. And there's um, separate branches of the military that created different lawsuits to sue individually the, the Army, excuse me, and uh, Air Force. You know, people are popping up showing that they have direct results of service-related injuries. Wow. I'll give it back. Yes, and that, I, think that's, I think that gives you a lot of insight to the character of your brother because having gone through all that he picked himself up yet still was able to still fight and not only be an inspiration to uh, a movement but and help veterans in similar situations and worse situations get back on their feet and get what they deserved so he's not just fighting for himself he's fighting for a whole generation of people you know i thought it was interesting looking back um in 1967 African-Americans made up about 11% of the U.S. population, but 23% of the troops in Vietnam, more than twice the representation in Vietnam among the black community. Mm-hmm. That was from the National Advisory Commission on Selective Service. Uh, that was also talked about in the New York Times and also other other organizations. But going back to the, that reality that you touched on as well, the fact that the, the states were able to administer GI benefits, education benefits, and some of these benefits. Mm-hmm. So, Richard, can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about um, the significance of that as opposed to a federal-level administration of benefits? 
Yeah. So, you know, as a as a compromise to the southern states when the GI Bill was initially codified and it was a, a huge social welfare program, something like it had never existed before that gave well, kind of open access to college education for the first time, let alone kind of access to be able to purchase homes uh, in mass. Uh, and so that the, 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 the bill was significant in that way. Um, but, you know, Southern racist at the time, but also, uh, you know, it's, I, I don't want to, 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 to make it appear that only the South participated in obstruction of VA home loans. You had northern states who that were rife with redlining that really leveraged that, that policy to block uh, wide swaths of black vets from being able to access uh, this crucial benefit at the time. Um, and it, you know the, the 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 ability to also purchase homes at the time is a, a wide driver of the economic inequality that we see today because so much of that wealth was built on folks who purchased the home, some of many of whom purchased it with uh, the GI Bill. Um, and so the significance of of, 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 of state adjudication um, is 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 that the, the that they could put in place um, their own policies um, and, and roll and give access to uh, these important benefits at their own discretion. So you ended up having states like Mississippi, where less than 5% of black vets that returned to the state of Mississippi between, between 1945 and 1956 actually got access to a VA home loan. I, I study um, from 1947 showed that... Um, that in that that that, that year alone, um, over three thousand uh, uh, veterans, white veterans, got access to VA home loans, where I think less than two or three um, black vets got access to uh, that that same loan. Um, and that's just in the state of Mississippi. So you aggregate that out, and you start to see kind of the kind of you know nefarious wealth stripping that was happening, really. Um, and our and our communities never really recovered from that, and we've never had a conversation about it um, as a country, like not a real one. Um, and so, you know, hopefully some of this work helps to inspire that. And there's a bill now, and I think I've discussed it coming on to your show before, um, the Seattle Restoration Act that looks to give direct descendants of uh, World War II veterans access to zero VA-backed home loans. And then a new bill called the, the Housing Loan Forever Act that really takes that a step further and uh, would, would extend VA home loans to descendants of any veteran um, between World War II and Vietnam. Um, who did not use their VA home loan, they'd be able to pass it down to multiple descendants so long as they're first-time home buyers. But that is, um, they just had the first hearing about that bill, and it was draft legislation and the last session of, of last Congress, and we're, we're hoping to actually get it introduced. Um, but, you know, it's a political it's a, it's a political battle trying to, to, to get uh, the government to, to really take accountability and actually do something to repair the harm done. Um, um, so that's why shows like yours are so important. Now I want to go a little bit deeper because uh, you were in the military also. Yeah, and you got out of the military. You had, you know, you, you know, you had some struggles with things like that. Um, when I got out of the military, I didn't know what my benefits were. Really, I didn't know how to access my benefits. I didn't know anything about anything. And but I knew when I yeah. signed up, I was signing up mainly because of those benefits. I was looking. I was looking at the GI bills, looking at ways mm-hmm. to get money to buy a first home. You know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Education benefits. So when you got out of the military, Richard. How did you, how easy was it for you to find your benefits? Did you have a clear understanding of what your benefits were and what you were eligible for? 
No. <laughs> um, I, I think one thing that I knew from the outset was I could get money to pay for school. So the majority of my time engaging with my benefits have been around getting education benefits. Um, and then, you know, that that's not as difficult to navigate um, because you can go to a school and say, hey, I'm a vet. I have a, G, you know, GI Bill access and they usually have coordinators that will help you use it. And they'll, they'll, they'll kind of carry the administrative legwork. Uh, but for other benefits, like the VA home loan, it's a lot more on the veteran themselves. Um, and then also when it comes to navigating all level of other benefits through the VA, uh, that's been a more fraught process. I mean, I, I'm a vet now that's diagnosed with, with uh, PTSD, and I, I'm getting disability compensation for it now, but it took multiple years to navigate the process and the bureaucracies of the VA to even understand where, you know, where and how to file my, my claim and also not be triggered in the process of doing all of it, too, because that's another thing. It's like we have to constantly kind of not only fight for just basic uh, the basic access to the health care that the VA is getting so much money to carry out, um, but also have to kind of continuously relive our trauma because, you know, the way in which they, 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 they adjudicate specifically mental health care at the VA is it needs improvement at the very least. Um, so uh, th- those have been my own personal experiences. And I can imagine how much harder it would be, particularly at a time. And I'm, I'm, I want to, I'm going to ask you this question in this within a question, I guess, but I'm hoping things get better. It's not really a question, but I'm hoping things get better. So I'm asking you, has it gotten better uh, since the Vietnam era from what you've seen and what the research you've done? I'm sure. I'm sure things have gotten better. Um, And and I don't think that there's a, there's not an indictment of of whether or not things haven't gotten better. I will say uh, why disparities are still persisting though. Right. And if we are not publicly having a conversation about that and there's not transparency about how the extent of what those disparities, the disparities are, are, and the consequence of us not actually contending with those hard numbers is a lot of veterans, like tens of thousands of veterans, black veterans who aren't getting equal access for a myriad of different reasons. Like that is that is the conversation that I think I'm most interested in engaging with. Um, but I think also it's like, you know, and, I, and I, I've been posed this question a lot in, in, in fo- with folks that I that I often you know have have interviews with about, um, you know, what like what the. What the, what the end point is and like what well you know how to foster greater equity and inclusion at the VA broadly and like there are a lot of really smart people who are instituting policies now and trying to you know move the needle and that that work is deeply important the conversation that I bring to the table is we cannot foster greater equity and inclusion without also first at the first step repairing in some way the ways in which harms have been done. There there are generations of black vets, many of whom are still alive, and their families still feel the effects of an inequitable access. And we have to do something to address that as a starting point, a true starting point for inclusion and equity. You can't just say, okay, well, let's just try to, let's just try to get all the numbers aligned now and then completely discount how they were misaligned for decades in a way that was, that, that disproportionately harmed black people and, and black veterans. So um, that yeah, that's that's always where I go with the conversation. So Gary, how is how is your brother doing today? My brother's doing much much better. You know, he's up in age now. So my brother's seventy four years old. So he's dealing with a lot of different elements, and it's difficult when you're older. Uh, he's he's always been active, and you know, intentionally 
to stay in shape intentionally worked out and you know uh positive attitude um this guy is he's before his time he was dreaming about greater things for veterans for, for veterans of color back when he got out of the military he saw that there was some promotions happening for us he saw that we was on the front line he saw the discharges unproportionately you know given his you know i have it that his thing was it was a big betrayal that services were rendered and then we didn't get our 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 compensation for it and it continues and so i see it inside of my brother's heart that he will continue to fight until his last breath i don't know if you're aware that he did another lawsuit whereas he was suing the government it took too long for the benefits to be processed Mm. and um his only plaintiff on that we won but it's you can only sue in a class action couldn't sue the government before this is this guy here this is connie monk jr the son of my father connie monk senior who's a world war ii veteran and we are a patriotic family our whole family um holds him up stands in his base to make sure that um he continues and and we're Siamese twins at this point i can't look any other way but um justice for all we're we're not going to stay still on it absolutely absolutely bravo Richard Berkshire, the co-founder of the Black Veterans Project, and Gary Monk, the younger brother of the person of the center of this conversation, veteran Conley Monk Jr. Thanks for your time, gentlemen. Yes. Black Veteran Project, Mr. Monk and your brother, America's Heroes Group show is your show. You have a platform to air your grievances, and let's see how we can absolutely pull the Band-Aid off. Clean it out for a fresh start. That's why we created this show six years ago. So thank you, Richard, for acknowledging the worth of what America's Heroes Group does as we bring people and organizations like you to the show. And thank you for your your continued patience with me because being an organizer doing this work. I understand, Richard. It's hard, so we, we just appreciate the love. So thank you. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.